0: Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning, and as we prepare our hearts to uh, delve once more into the riches of God in His Word, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, let's bow once more as we commit our time to Him in prayer. Gracious Father, we uh, have just proclaimed that You are the one who controls our destiny, um, that from the first cry till Uh, our last breath, uh, Lord, and even into eternity itself. uh, You are the one who has uh, created us, who has saved us, and who will bring us home. Uh, And so, Father, as we open up your word this morning today, we ask that you would uh, teach us, uh, that you would capture our attention for these few moments with your truth Uh, that we can see uh, the importance of being rooted and grounded in your love. Uh, Because it is uh, through that that we will be able to, as we also sung, stand on that firm foundation that though the fiercest storm may come, uh, whatever that may take form of, Lord, we can stand in confidence because we stand on that sure foundation, which is you. Uh, And so, Father, we thank you for all these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. if you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, our text today is going to be verse 17, and it's fitting. It's one of those things as, you know, we consider uh, what uh, these uh, few words will teach us today that it, it aptly falls on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Uh, you'll notice that our songs as we uh, sung, we gather together as we count our many blessings, Uh, that uh, we have much to be thankful for. Uh, And a lot of that thankfulness will come as a result of us being in Christ, having Christ dwelling within us, uh, because the Spirit of God uh, is in our inner being, uh, the one who is strengthening us so that we are rooted and grounded in love. And when we are that way, when we are where we're supposed to be, that will overflow in thanksgiving to God. Uh, And so uh, let's begin by uh, just contextually starting back at verse 14 as we uh, find ourselves continuing in the prayer uh, that Paul is praying for the, the saints at Ephesus. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, Because we're going to stop there. Uh, and the comment was made last week that I stopped at a comma. Well, the thing is, this prayer is one sentence in Greek, so I have to stop somewhere. Uh, it just happens that it's at the end of verse 17 where there's another comma. But you'll notice there, it begins uh, in verse 17 with um, two words in English, so that. Uh, And that word in Greek is what we call a henna clause. Uh, It is a clause that tells us that there is uh, a purpose uh, that is about to be stated. Uh, And so when we we take a look at this, uh, we need to back up because um, Paul's prayer for every believer goes back to verse 16. "...is that we be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith." So that's the connector there. That's that henna that, that connection in Greek that is showing us that there's a purpose in the Spirit giving us power and strength in our inner being. It's so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the purpose. So the the Spirit and Christ Himself and God the Father, all three as one God, are working toward that same purpose of making us more like Him, Uh, transitioning us from being just uh, those that have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, those that are what we would consider scripturally uh, infants, those that are still in the milk of the Word, to be those that are made mature so that we can take part in the deeper things of God, uh, the deeper things of his truth, things that we have to grow into uh, spiritually. Well, that word dwell there also helps us to better understand what Paul is uh, communicating because it actually uh, literally means to house permanently, to dwell in one's soul, to govern it. So we get a picture here of what happens as a result of Christ dwelling in us. You know, and Christ dwelling in us does not take place apart from the Spirit who indwells us as believers. So in other words, Christ is not going to indwell anyone that is not a believer. Christ is going to dwell in those that find themselves being strengthened with power through the Spirit of God in their inner being which you remember last week we talked about the fact that only believers have an inner being because unbelievers are spiritually dead. There is no inner being. There's no life there. Uh, And this inner being that the Spirit uses to strengthen us and give us power that is not our own to be able to live this life that God has given to us, but also, too, to prepare us for Christ to dwell in us through faith. And this is not something where Jesus is just a squatter. He's not coming in and just squatting down in your existence and you know, taking up space that uh, you have you know, given to him. Uh, he has rightfully earned, he has rightfully paid for that life, which is your life, because you were once dead, now you are alive. See, Jesus is not a squatter or a stranger because he belongs or you belong to Him. And so He's making who you are individually as His home. And see, there's a difference between living somewhere and in some place being your home. You know, being in ministry for as many years as uh, Michelle and I have and being in multiple residences, and actually even as we began ministry, moving every six months uh, for the first ten years. Uh, We packed up our house twice a year to move from one uh, ministry community to another. Uh, And the thing is, is Michelle always made whatever that residence was our home, a place where we could gather together as a family to worship together, to live together, to be together as one. And see, Jesus is doing this exact same thing where he is making your existence who you are as a son or daughter of God, as his home, because the Spirit, through his strength in your inner being, has already prepared that place for Jesus to be at home. Because you remember, part of what the Spirit does is he is a convictor of sin. The Spirit is also a comforter. He is an encourager. Uh, And he is there as that indwelling, as that seal until the day of redemption, but also there to make it a proper place for the Son of God to dwell. Because the thing is, is we are still becoming more and more Christ-like as the Word of God speaks truth into our lives, as we gather together as saints uh, in Christ. Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 23, says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, that's what Jesus is doing in this indwelling. He is making your soul his home. And the thing is, as you think about that, it's kind of a profound thought. It's also a very sobering thought. Because that means everywhere that you go in your physical existence and also your spiritual existence, you're taking Jesus, the Son of God, along with you, as well as the Holy Spirit, And remember, one of the attributes of God is that He is everywhere present. So really, there's nowhere you can hide from Him. But the thing is, as we think about this, you know, what things do we do that make our soul, our heart, our mind the very home of Jesus Christ? So that He dwells there, not as someone who is an unwanted visitor, like a squatter, but someone who we love having there that can walk into any room or any corner of our heart and know that what he finds there is going to be something that glorifies him. But sometimes that's not the case. But the fact is, is that as we are strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being, guess what? Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. He's there, and so what are we doing to make it a home for him? See, this indwelling is not speaking in relation to salvation because Christ is not going to dwell in someone who is not a child of God. The same is true in relation to the Spirit. The Spirit is not going to indwell someone who is not a son or daughter of God. And so this is not talking about salvation. This is actually talking about that work of sanctification so that as we surrender those areas of our being, those things that we hold on to with closed fists, to God, it becomes more and more Christ's home. In Colossians 1.27, it says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what are you doing to make your soul, your heart, your mind, Christ's home. Well, you have this right here. You don't have this particular one because this is mine. And you know it because you can look at it and it's written in my ink, my handwriting, my underlining, uh, because this is the Word of God. This is something he's given to me so that I can read it, I can meditate upon it, I can apply it, I can make it part of who I am, and as a result of doing so, through the strength of the Holy Spirit that indwells me, that truth becomes real in my existence, so real that it makes my existence Christ's home. And you know what happens when you read your Bible and pray every day, right? you'll grow grow grow. Don't read your bible, don't or forget to pray and you'll what? shrink shrink shrink. You know, we teach our children very deep biblical truths that I think sometimes as adults we have a tendency to gloss over or to forget. Well, that's just a kids song. Well, no, you know what? It's speaking a theological truth is that we need to be in the word of God and we need to be praying every day because that is how we grow spiritually. That is how we become more Christ-like. That's how our soul, our heart, our mind become more and more Christ's home. So that he dwells there, not as someone who is a stranger, or that we say in the the videos that you've probably seen where, well, Christ, I don't want you to go into that room because if you go into that room, I know you're going to find something that doesn't honor you. But see, the thing is, is that that, that Greek word there literally means to dwell in one's soul permanently as a home and to govern it. So Jesus is not there just for you to have him locked in one room of your, your being. He is there as the one who is the Lord of your life. Because you were on that throne at one point. All you loved was yourself, And what has changed is now you have the ability, because of the Spirit in your inner being, because of Christ dwelling in you, to love more than yourself. You love Jesus, others, and then yourself. That's what really brings you true joy. Well, let's take a look. It says uh, in verse 17, "...so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, because that is the purpose of the Spirit in your inner being, strengthening and giving you His power." is that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, Paul has a, uh, a unique ability to mix metaphors because we have two different metaphors here because we have one that is rooted and the other one that is grounded. Uh, and we're going to take a look and we're going to unpack each of these and we're going to go scripturally to a couple other texts so that we can see you know, what exactly Paul is putting forth here. The first, rooted in love, is a plant metaphor uh, because it literally means to plant, to fix firmly, to establish. And don't you know it's one of those Pauline Greek words because it's only used twice in the New Testament, and guess where the other one is used? In one of Paul's letters. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, "'Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith.'" just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." So we have this this beautiful picture of, you know, being planted, to be rooted, and as you can see, and hopefully it's big enough on the screen, you can see some of it, Uh, but this is a a date palm tree. Uh, And I'm actually going to be taking you to another scripture, uh, because I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I want you to turn to Psalm 92. Because there's the scriptures actually speak a lot to um, trees, actually, uh, in relation to um, God making them, but also to of the qualities of what trees do in order to exist and to survive. So Psalm 92, and we're gonna look at verses 12 to 15 now, and then at the end of the sermon, we're actually gonna look at the first few verses in Psalm 92 because they speak to uh, what uh, we're talking about here in Ephesians chapter 3. So Psalm 92, starting in verse 12. It says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of the Lord. They still bear fruit in old age. They are, never, or they are ever full of sap and green, to declare that the Lord is upright He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So you have two pictures here in this psalm of two different types of trees. One is the date palm, which is is on the screen here so that you can see. And the date palm uh, actually grows in the midst of a desert climate. Uh, And the date palm is a, a beautiful tree, Uh, That ends up towering in a a single, you know, trunk all the way to the top where it ends up, you know, um, bursting forth in foliage. Uh, But it's also where dates come from because it produces dates as a fruit. That's why it's called the date palm. And I like what Spurgeon says in relation to this because this is a picture of someone who is a righteous individual. Someone who has the... Uh, the Spirit's giving strength in the inner being where Christ is dwelling through faith, this is what it looks like or what it's described as. And he says, When we see a noble palm standing erect, sending all its strength upward in one bold column and growing amid the dearth and draught of the desert, we have a fine picture of the godly man who in his uprightness aims alone at the glory of God and independent of outward circumstances, is made by divine grace to live and thrive where all things else perish. So think about this. this, this beautiful tree that towers, and he uses the word as a bold column, in a desert climate, is able to show forth the, the beauty and, and power of God. God. And it does this and is able to exist in this climate because you can see the roots go out and they go down deep because it has to find the moisture that it needs in order to exist in this climate to produce that sweet fruit of date that it does. And then when you think about this picture of the date palm, you can think about Christians in the world in which we live because, you know, as he says, they thrive where all else Perish. Well, we are surrounded by a whole bunch of people that do not honor God, that do not know God. It's a desert spiritually. And in the middle of that desert, unbeknownst to the rest of the desert itself, is this beautiful thing that comes up out of the soil. And it doesn't just you know come up and you know for a short season and die. This is something that its existence, it's planted, it is rooted, it is there for the duration and isn't going to allow the circumstances around it so the acts of sinful men who do not honor God, who do not have a loving relationship with God, dictate its growth because its roots go down deep. Its roots are rooted in what it needs in order to survive in that climate Well, think about that from a spiritual standpoint. We sink roots deep down into the love of God. Because Christ Jesus, our Savior, indwells us, we are His home. We have the Spirit of God that is in our inner being, strengthening and giving us the power to live in a cultural desert, spiritual desert where there is no one who honors God except those who know God. And it still ends up producing something very sweet, something good to taste. And the thing is, is that there's others that by you living in the desert climate of this world end up producing a fruit that is sweet that ends up being you proclaiming the gospel good news like Paul is doing here in our text so that they can have their eyes open to the truth of their need of a savior and all of a sudden cease being the desert around but end up becoming a palm themselves through faith and trust in Jesus Christ an interesting little tidbit for those who like you know statistics or you know facts about things annually the amount of dates that are produced and processed is 8. 5 million metric tons. Now think about how much is produced by the bride, the church of God, in proclaiming the good news of Jesus in a, a spiritual desert. Now we may not be able to see outside of Ellington Baptist Church on any given time how many truly know Jesus Christ and are living for him and are producing fruit that is evidence of Christ and the Holy Spirit being inside them. But you can go to the farthest corners of the world. You can, you can talk to our missionaries who share the gospel in foreign areas and know that there's believers there. Growing up like that date palm, producing sweet fruit, sweet testimony to the fact that they have been regenerated, that they've been born again, that they are not part of the desert any longer Matter of fact, the source of their existence comes from beneath the desert itself. Well, Psalm 92 also says that the the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Well, the cedar of Lebanon or the cedars of Lebanon are actually in the Bible and are uh, spoken of. Uh, And in the book of Ezekiel, Um, There is a beautiful picture where um, the the prophet ends up, you know, communicating a truth as he, uh, as God is telling him what to say to the people. Uh, Basically, the message is that that no nation will escape God's judgment. But in doing so, what he does is he uh, uh, speaks to Assyria being like a cedar of Lebanon. And I'd like to read this text to you because it gives you a picture of what uh, the cedar of Lebanon is like. Uh, how it presents itself. In chapter 31, starting in verse 3, it says, "'Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon, "'with beautiful branches and forest shade, "'and of towering height, its top among the clouds. "'The waters nourished it, the deep made it grow tall, "'making its rivers flow around the place of its planting, "'sending forth its streams to all the trees of the field.'" So it towered high above all the trees of the field. Its boughs grew large and its branches uh, long from abundant water in its shoots. All the birds of heaven made their nest in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived all great nations. It was beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its branches, for its roots went down to abundant waters." So that gives you a little bit of a picture of what the prophet is saying in relation to what Assyria was like. Of course, this was a nation that rose and fell. This message was to Egypt to remind them that even though they may think they are a great nation, that there is still one greater than every nation on the planet, and that is God himself. But there's this parallel to the, the cedar, and you'll notice some of the characteristics. It says it has beautiful branches, it has forest shade, it has towering height. Um, it, it's, uh, by its waters, it is nourished. It, it, it goes down deep, but yet grows tall. The birds of heaven make their nest uh, in its branches. Uh, the beasts of the field give birth to their young under those branches, It was beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its branches, for its roots went down to abundant waters. See, cedar was seen as a a symbol of wealth. Matter of fact, we can look scripturally and know that cedar was used uh, in David's palace. Cedar was used in the temple. Um, It was, uh, you know, a a tree that had great longevity. It's uh, known that cedars would live for thousands of years. Given time, you know, uh, and the thing is, is that uh, it was a very stately tree. It was something that was tall, it was majestic, and it was useful. And when you think about all those characteristics of the cedar, then again, you start to see those spiritual parallels as well. Because someone who has its roots that continue to go down deeper and deeper into uh, that well of love that comes from the Father, which we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks as we look at the length, the height, the breadth, and the depth of that love. But when we we sink our roots deep down into the very source of nutrition, that is when we are the strongest. And both of these trees um, display life. You know, one produces a, a fruit that is sweet to eat, uh, the other one is, you know, something that it grows big enough so that, you know, the birds uh, you know, of the air have places to nest that, you know, animals can, you know, raise their young underneath of it if there's a canopy of these cedars. There's growth. It doesn't remain stagnant. It continues to grow because the farther it deeps, it sinks its roots down in, and as the, the leaves of the tree, you know, direct itself towards the light for it to continue to grow, you see this growth. It provides not only for the animals but also for humankind to, to utilize the fruits that come from both of them, and they're beautiful to look at. You know, we just got done coming through a season where we saw the trees, you know, in you know, splendor and different colors, Both trees are tall, majestic, and useful. And these are all pictures of what a spiritual believer is like when their roots are sunken deep down into the Word of God, into the love of God. Something happens as a result. The tree isn't stagnant. The tree doesn't look dead. The tree is alive. It's producing. It is growing. It is there as a testimony to what it is, plugged into. And for us as believers, that is Jesus Christ. That is the Holy Spirit. That is God the Father. That is the Word of God. You'll notice there in Psalm 92, it says uh, that they are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God. See, they're planted in the very thing that they need to be planted in for them to, to optimally grow. If you spend time planting yourself into the Word of God by meditating on it, memorizing it, making it part of who you are, you are going to grow spiritually because God's Word does not return void. It will do and accomplish everything that God sets it out to do. And for us as believers, that is for us to grow, to grow spiritually, for our, our, our roots to go down deeper for our love for the Word of God, to be something that is an insatiable thirst. i got to go deeper. i got to get down into it more and more so that when the drought around me is evident because I'm in a maybe a desert climate spiritually, that I have all the nutrition I need. I have all the answers that I need. I have all the faith and the trust that I need because I am you know, grounded in what I need to be, rooted in what I need to be. And you'll notice the word flourish is used there twice. Believers should flourish. So are you flourishing this morning? Some of you look like you need a little bit more coffee before you're going to flourish too much. (laughs) But see, the thing is, is that's, you know, we are meant to grow. Jesus didn't die for us to remain spiritual infants, to be little saplings. And that's all forever no we're growing because we're sinking our roots deep down into the one who saved us and the thing is it's planted in the house of the Lord because that is its new native soil and it's something beautiful because every nutrient that you need as a tree which hopefully some of you aren't as hard headed as some of the trees are hard you grow you grow in that grace. And you'll notice it says there also that they bear fruit in old age. And they are ever full of sap and green. So for all of those that are old of age, all of our senior saints who have been believers for many, many years, or maybe you're an older saint that just has trusted Christ in recent years, guess what? You bear fruit even in old age. So you don't retire from growing in relation to your spiritual growth. Yeah, we may retire if, if you have the privilege of having enough, you know, that God has provided and blessed you with to retire and enjoy that. But you don't retire from your spiritual growth. You don't retire from serving the Lord. Because it says here that these trees, and again, the tree is, is likened to a the righteous. You bear fruit even in old age, and you're ever full of sap and green. So in other words all those young believers that are coming in, all those non-believers that are coming in can see not a forest of dead trees because if it is truly righteous, if they are truly indwelt by Christ and the Holy Spirit and rooted in the love of God, guess what? They're going to see a, a forest that is flourishing, that is producing fruit that's not their own fruit, It's a fruit that is given to them by God, so that even though there there might be a desert around them, they are still flourishing. They're still full of sap and green, bearing fruit in old age. And all that, so that verse 15 says, to declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. And see, that's a message that the world needs to hear even today, as within the day this was penned. He is my rock, which again speaks to foundation, which we'll get to in a a moment. But you see the pictures that are being painted here? Paul using this metaphor of being rooted and grounded in love because you need to be rooted and grounded in love. Because if you sink your roots down into something that is ground, that is not native soil, that isn't going to give you what you need, then guess what? You're not going to grow. You're going to be, like the song says, you'll be shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8 says, "'Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, "'whose trust is is the Lord. "'He is like a tree planted by water "'that sends out its roots by the stream "'and does not fear when heat comes.'" For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So think about that personally. What heat are you experiencing right now? What set of circumstances that are external are affecting you right now? Because yes, they are real. I'm not minimizing them. But the thing is, is you can either focus on the circumstances or you can sink your roots that much deeper into the truth and the promises of the word of God. And what will happen is, is that even when the heat comes, their leaves remain green. There is no anxious thoughts or fearful thoughts in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit because its roots are where they need to be. The roots are in something that will always supply life And literally, if you want to take it a step further, life eternal, because that's what we have. Well, Paul uses another metaphor here, and we're not going to spend as much time speaking to this one, uh, because we've talked about uh, foundations before. But he says uh, there in verse 17 that you, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you as one being dwelt by the Spirit and the Son... are being rooted and grounded in love. So grounded in love is a building metaphor. So Paul is switching focuses here to go from a plant metaphor to a building metaphor. And this Greek word here means foundational, fundamental, established. And it's used five times in the New Testament. Uh, And some of these are actually outside of uh, Pauline letters. Uh, One comes from Matthew chapter 7, which you're familiar with the account there. Matthew chapter 7 in the the wise man and the foolish man. And in verses 24 and 25, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And actually, if you go into the account in Luke chapter 6, it actually says that that the the wise man dug deep down to get to the bedrock, to get down to where the foundation was strong. Again, another picture of of digging down, getting down to where we need to be uh, to to build upon a foundation. And that foundation in Luke 6 actually even adds in there that it could not be shaken. See, when you're on the right foundation, when your roots are deep, you won't be shaken, no matter what's going on around you, because God will give you the grace to either get through it, maybe go around it, or maybe remove it, but God knows what's best for each and every one of us. It's also used in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. It talks about here, it says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. That word foundation is that same thing grounded here in Ephesians. It says, And the heavens are the work of your hands. Verse 11 says, They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. See, did you notice the picture here of, you know, it's using that same word foundation, of the foundation of the earth itself, that God made it. He created out of nothing everything it is and takes care of everything that he has created. And it says all those things are going to perish. But what still remains? That strong foundation, which is God. And see, that's the same God who sent His Son, Jesus, the same God through His Spirit who indwells you and strengthens you in your inner being, the same God whose Son indwells you through faith so that when the storms of life come, no matter what form they may take, you are on a solid foundation. And the same Greek root for this word here, is actually used in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Uh, and this speaks to us laying on the foundation, which is Christ. Um, Paul says there, "'According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus.'" Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's works will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So that same Greek root is used there that we see here in Ephesians chapter 3, where it says, grounded in love. Well, that foundation, there's only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, we are doing good works that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the question is, is what kind of good works are they? Why do you do what you do? Do you do anything at all? And the question, you know, the answer to all those questions is, is they can either be gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. And the thing is, Lord willing, as you're on that strong foundation, as your roots are sunk deep into the word of God, that it'll be the first three, that even when tested by fire, they remain and are not consumed. You know, it reminded me of, you know, when we talk about foundations, of the crumbling foundations around here. You know, they've been lifting houses all around here on Penny Street, multiple ones down that way, some down here on Main Street, where they're lifting the entire house up. Because the foundations are bad. And they dig out the foundation, and they lay a brand new foundation and put the house back down on top of it. But see, the thing is, we never have to worry about our foundation crumbling, you know, becoming old with age and therefore needing to be replaced. God does not need to be replaced. And we saw right here in Hebrews, he says, but you remain, you are the same, and your years will have no end. Because God is a strong foundation you can build upon. So how should this inform our lives today? Well, as it is Thanksgiving, or the Sunday before Thanksgiving, this coming Thursday, you probably will eat more than you should. But as we think about how this should inform our lives, I I found a video that I'd like to share with you uh, as we uh, close out our, our sermon this morning before we take a look at those first six verses of Psalm ninety two, just in passing that tie into this video. Uh, and so go ahead and start the video first. Oh, that's hard. seriously? <sighs> okay. Oh. Where is it all going? Oh. Please, please, please. <laughs> oh. Why is this happening? No! It's 1278. Alright, let me get your... Uh... Uh, um, uh... No, buddy, no, no, buddy! No, no, buddy. Things for granted again? Yeah... I guess so. Alright, well is there anything you can do about that? Because we really need to do some laundry. Laura, will you please give me a more grateful heart? buddy My car! Okay. I think the video speaks for itself. And it brings us to Psalm 92, because uh, once again, as we, we took a look at the uh, end of Psalm 92, as we look at what a righteous person looks like, you go back to the beginning of Psalm 92, and it starts out by saying, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. See, the thing is, you've been given the privilege to see this and understand this because you've been given spiritual eyes to see the truth of who God is and how amazing he is. And see, that should, you know, as we find ourselves rooted in love and grounded in love, what that does is it will produce a thankfulness in our hearts. Otherwise, you may become like the man in the video, which humorously represented him not, you know, or him taking for granted all the things he had. And I think it's interesting that to preface Psalm 92, The psalmist talks about giving thanks to the Lord first, and at the end, with sandwiched in between talking about those that are not believers, he says, the righteous flourish. Well, see, the righteous, when they flourish, when they are sinking their roots deep down, when they are on that solid foundation, then it produces joy. It produces thankfulness. It gives you the ability to see beyond the circumstances of life so that you can live in this world today, which is a desert, and produce fruit, not just be a tree, but to actually produce something that glorifies God. So as Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, may we truly have thankful hearts that take nothing for granted because they are rooted and grounded in the love of God. And so let's like the psalmist, stand together this morning as the worship team comes once more and prepare ourselves to give thanks to the Lord. By the music, we're not going to use a lute today or a harp or a lyre, but we're going to use what we have to lift our voices in glorifying God and closing by saying, oh, give thanks, because we should be thankful. We have much that God has blessed us with each and every day. Amen? Amen. Well, let's sing out this morning as we close our service.